0: welcome to the review for the 9th of may 2023 i'm your host as always graham Mackay. i'm joined by the person that busts people's bubbles christian wilf how are you christian
1: i'm great graham how are you
0: i'm good i'm I'm refreshed after my long-awaited holiday
1: i was gonna say did you have a nice holiday
0: i did yeah celtic wonder league we did, we did et cetera. etc. Hey, I'm assuming you're going to come in here and make it all worse for someone if you're over somehow. I mean, no. Has has someone pissed in the, the yukuzi? <laughs> yuc- or is the water still nice in the yukuzi? What, 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 what well, I, I,
1: I don't know about you, but I had the worst. Almost... On, like, I was always like, what day are we? Yesterday, yesterday, when um, the league was won, I almost went, ha ah. uh, <laughs> No, in, in terms of, I, I felt this like sudden urge not to do a tactical analysis of it. <laughs> it was like, the league is won. Mm. It's, it's, it, I'm not saying I've been part of the team, but I put, I put a lot of work in, right? And, and I felt like that's the league won. Right. The focus now is next season. Uh, okay. The cup final. Um, so yeah, I, I felt like I should have been just been part of the team. And I was like, you know, that's, that's the season over now. We got it over the line. Don't have to do 50 images. Uh, we'll just, we'll just phone it in. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> to, well, uh, like every week. Uh, but, but no, so, I, but part of also, I think. I thought this episode could be nice just to put a bit of perspective on it um, mm-hmm. and talk about, you know, the season since Ange came in, yeah, from a tactical point of view. But it's it feels more like, okay, this is kind of like a landmark. This is like a good point to kind of go, you know, take 10 steps back and go bloody hell. The turnaround of this team is just immense. Um, so... And also the fact that like, there isn't really any challenge challenges left this season. There's a tick box exercise, and yes, I guess I'll be have to be watching Kelly Tissel, um, yeah. um on some sort of dodgy um, tactics camera um, that's been filmed in the Highlands. Uh, but I kind of went, it's fine. Let's let's ha- let's focus in on the you know some of the. Not the detail, but but, 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 but what was it? The micro, what was it? The macro, the the micro uh, analysis. So, but yeah. So I, I think it'd be good to kind of have a chat about like overall everything overall. But that's uh, yes, I mean, there's a couple of elements we can talk about from the game as well. I'm, I'm sure you'll ask me some questions to, to try and get me cancelled. So.
0: Well, I mean, I think obviously we have come across as big Kobayashi fans and yes. uh, some of the I think it's been quite balanced the, the, No, the, not the, as big the, as though No, no, obviously Fine. not No, no. Uh, But I think it's been quite balanced, the, the response I think kneejerk. a lot of people seem to think he had a, a kind of horrendous game and, and I think what was interesting to me uh, was that he didn't get shown up in the way that I think people maybe expected from the kind of physicality side of the game. Whereas I think people came away from that game kind of disappointed in him for the things that we thought he was good at, if that makes sense. And I, I, I know you've got a you've got a kind of take on this, but <laughs> what so as as I said earlier, are we still all in on the Yakuza? Or is it time to get out?
1: More than ever. Well,
0: Graham, more than and they yeah, be friends,
1: are... it's, this is obviously if if I don't burst a bubble, I create one. Um no, I first of all I think um, kudos to the guys on their reaction. Well two first of them. gal's just a host. That's the easy part. Uh, yeah. but I think Battle and, and also Colin, uh I mean Colin um won the appearance on the review and he's just talking like mm-hmm. a bloody hipster on, yeah. on, on direction, yeah, that, That's what happens to you. Um, and not to like say we don't need another hour of, of this pod, but I t- think Belden-Colin kind of some could be average performance up really well in terms of he had some missed passes. Yes. But he was he was trying the things I want to see from overall uh, for me. And I think that's the headline for me, what he did. So we know he's got the technique. He showed examples of that. We know he's got the willingness. I think he's still got the calmness. And if you try and play out in that way, and if you're not overly safety first, a couple of times you will be picked off, right? And it's it's you know it's great when it doesn't happen when you do that. But I think when you play that kind of game, part of it is that the execution's not going to be a hundred percent right all the time. And I think so, so I think that's probably what a lot of the discussion is going to be about. And that's we can focus on a couple of things, but to kind of put it in context, Alan talks I think Alan makes a, a really good point in terms of the centre backs. Um, you know, Starfield and CCV did the usual ones. So when they Play out. Alan points out that they're good
2: at not trying a pass that's not on, right? And I'm, and I, I
1: agree. I think that's a good quality. I also think there's, but for me, it's it's within is within that balance, because if you only try passes that you are. Very safe thing you're gonna do. i well, not even very safe, but like you, just, you know, you, you, there's this. You know, I, I think if you if you put that if you put safety first, essentially, I think you end up being overly safe, and I think mm-hmm. that has a detrimental effect across games and certain situations. Of, and, and, oh, and, and I don't think Kobayashi was overly, you know. Kongo. Wildy Wildicon I think you know he's look he looking at some of the stats but I like what he tried and and I and I think he just confirmed what I thought he was and, and then we'll get back to this defensive side but just on the passing sides yeah he's, he has a few misses probably got probably get picked off but he tries to me tries to me, tries him, and he's he's got a composure and a, a Just his pure technique and it's just Mm. his first touch, how he sets up passes that I really like. And I think that's the second hardest game, away game in in the league. He'll he'll get the hardest one next week. And I thought, I I think it was a really good test for him. And as you say, people might, uh, sorry, I keep interrupting you, trying to jump in, but uh, people might say, okay, okay, you had that reverse. Okay, he wasn't that good on the ball. I thought he was good on the ball. Execution. Wasn't a hundred percent all the time, but for me, it's more about the intent and what you're trying to.
0: Yeah, and I think the, the way you're talking about the safe passes and stuff—if you're the opposition team, you can you can essentially become like a puppet master to the other team's build-up if you know that they're only going to take safe passes on because you can manufacture the, the passes for them by just standing like positioning yourself in certain areas. You can there's a predictability that comes from that. And one of the things I noticed uh, from Kobayashi, and I, I sent a wee video of this last night, uh, was his kind of kind of volley flick for um, the build-up to the second goal. And for someone, and I think uh, you've got the, the image there, that I think it was eight misplaced passes he did in the whole game, I And mean, Sturfeld to seven. For someone who had already done probably maybe all eight of those misplaced, misplaced passes at this stage, that's a lot of confidence, to attempt that kind of half-volley flick to the to the wing. So he's clearly someone who... I get a feeling he's been told to keep doing this, to keep working on it, don't, don't give up, don't go safe, don't go conservative. And he's got the confidence to try and do these kind of instant passes, even when he knows that he's maybe put a couple out the park yeah. and maybe hit for a couple. Yeah, and then... It's...
1: That is probably it as well, and I think... I think it's, I guess going all the bit back to Ronnie Dyla, but it, it's kind of claxon But it's it's such, a, I guess, a, a simple
2: but coaching philosophy in terms of
1: if you do what I ask you to do, it doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter, but nobody will get angry if you fail at it. It's more if you don't do what i'm asking you to do that's the issue and i, I think we kobayashi when you're asking somebody who, to play a certain style like that which is just a little bit more risky it you know in, in terms of that first pass having them do it in a game situation like that and i think to pretty good success if you got something as well and that's what you want to see cuz you know you, if if you're going to play that way it is a higher risk immediately, but I think that the risk of being too safe while not doesn't show up immediately over... Essentially, what I'm saying if you keep being too safe in all games, you, you're never going to be able to develop your game in order to, you know, have that kind of style of play and that kind of press-resistant um, capability that want to see. And in one sense... Kobayashi has a superior ball technique to, to start with the CCV, and he'll always going to have that. I think when you get to professional football like in your 20s, that's, you know, you, you can obviously you can develop a little bit, but either you I have said. that technique or you're not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kobayashi has it, and he's got that calmness and the mindset to, to try it. And, yeah, he needs to develop his timing, his little bit of his vision, his, some, some of his overview, but he has the tools. So he just needs to go through a process of keep doing this and keep doing. It. And so you say, I like the way he just kept doing it. And I, and, and I don't think he was going home because there's plenty of time he doesn't make the pass. Mm. I, I think there was, but I, I think if you want to like jump to like the one example I've, I've sent to you, mm. I think it's one of his first misses. Is this, So there's a ball coming back from the heart's defense and he gets the ball about five yards into his own half. And it's still, it's like it's two touches. First touch on his, he, like he's um, takes the first touch on his top thigh. He sets it up nicely for like his second touch being, being being a pass. And I think it's a sense that he's trying to find Rijatati, and his quickness and technique lets him set up the pass. I think he probably just just too late, like, sees that I think is Haring that's moving over to just mm. get the ball off Haring. Greg Taylor wins the ball back, goes to Kobayashi, he goes all the way back. But what I really, really, liked about this is that the ball goes the way back to Joe Hart. He sends it out to Kobayashi again, who's right on the touchline now. And again, I think it's still Haring that like comes like Haring, straight yeah. up, Haring him straight at him. So Kobe actually's got the situation where he's you know he's he's out on the left hand side, he's left footed, so obviously, um, furthest away from Joe Hart. He's got a player who's running straight at him. He's just missed like his first proper pass of of the game, but he lets the ball run over across his body, and then the first time left footed over to McGregor and and Haring isn't just a no man's land. It's Mm. just a, it's just a calmness and, and. composure to do that right after you've, you've missed it and I think mm-hmm. it's and there's a sense of you don't want to go completely Bernabé right in terms of trying a lot and being too gung-ho <laughs> because Burnaby is, is another one who's got the technique to do this but he's probably a bit too gung-ho but I think just that first touch pass like right after you missed one is just it's that's what you want to see and it, so I, and that makes me a lot more like Comfortable with him, just seeming reacting to that because that's why we haven't really seen it. We haven't seen him in a period of a game where we kind of missed a couple of passes. He just keeps doing it, and it just looks just as calm. And it's yeah.
0: I think that's why I, I about it. What I found interesting about it is the the narrative after the game was that he was less on 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 the ball, and you sent me the image with the passes, the open play passes, uh, successful and missed. And he actually has a lesser percentage of mispasses than Starfield had in that game. Starfield's yeah. is around about 10% mispasses. Um, By
1: some distance as well. Like, Starfield's got 74 open play passes. He misses seven. Kobe actually has 104 open play passes. He misses eight.
2: Yeah.
1: And a and couple of them was probably a bit, you know, they, they clearly picked off. But whereas Starfield's often mispasses where he kind of he goes a little bit long, or he's he gets blocked quickly uh, as well.
0: Yeah, I think where I was going with that is that it's it's. I would prefer my centre back to have a mis- misplaced passes, trying something interesting, whereas Starfield essentially had seven mis- misplaced passes, not trying anything interesting, or for the most part, not trying anything interesting. What away from the actual passing aspect, because. Going into the Champions League, we are going to misplace pass- passes at times. What, how So oh, over those 15, and not all of them would have been in our final third or in our own half, what do you think, how do you think Celtic dealt with that? Having to quickly go into defensive mode with Hearts now in possession quite far up the park. Do you think we handled it well?
1: Yeah, I, I think the team overall was set up well. I mean, the one we not mentioned there is like, a second later Greg Taylor is, is on hiring. It, it and I think if you, they're kind of building up from the back. I mean, a key part of it for me is then you have the proximity of players, especially in the first third when you build out. So you're all, only really going to be able to do that if you have close proximity of players, three, four quick passes, and then you ha- kind of have that Explosion or that uh, some space opens up because you essentially what you do is is tempting the opposition up and you make them run. So if you have three, four, four passes and get beyond their midfield lines, suddenly you should have two thirds of the pitch very open against their defensive line. So uh, if your team is set up for that proximity of players, you know, you will have that chance of essentially the concept is. If you have very little space between those kind of lines and between players, if you lose the ball, you can count press and get it. My issue is if you start going along, if you go back and then go long, what you essentially have then is your team isn't set up to do that. Right? You can set up a team to go long and have a big chance of recovering the second ball. But if you're trying to play out and then suddenly the centre-back can keep it going, it's ah, just going to go long. It's an extra wasted ball because the team is not set up and it just comes come straight back at you as well. So uh, especially then if you, if you keep playing back, keep in black, and then you go up. And you know. So uh, uh, as I said, if you want to try and play out this way in the Champions League, you're not going to
2: get 100% perfect.
1: But the risk of it Again, outweighs it. Also, think there's a there's a risk in in being too safe. But if you set up your team correctly, these if you miss these kind of short passes, you should have a better chance of winning the ball back. Essentially,
0: so away from the kind of core cold hard analytic chat, did you enjoy the the occasion? It felt quite emotional. This one, I don't know why it was that it felt quite emotional. Um, yeah, I
1: mean, I had another stat, but okay. It's,
0: it's... We can come back to that. Okay, just, okay. I just don't want to. We can't be having one of these after we win the league and be all cold hard stats. You know, what I mean, okay. we need to have a bit of emotion in there. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I felt felt emotional when Ange was speaking. I, I, I from my time uh, going into the games, which was eleven years from Tommy Burns to uh, to Strachan, um, th- there was never this connection between players. And France, it was ne- they were never this close, and I think you've you've obviously got social media playing a, a, a part of that because you can basically see their life, so what they want to show us, which you could never see back in the day. It, it feels like a special connection at the moment between the the players, the coach, and staff. Though I imagine some people still hate Strachan and Canada, and. Uh, the, the fans. What, what did you? What did you make of the, the kind of scenes yesterday at Tynecastle and then back at Celtic Park?
1: I think. I think it's easy then to like try to get high boy and use big words for this, and like trying to kind of put words on it. But for me, it's the thing with Ash is his authenticity, in that I think there's things we. With Ange like, oh, you maybe don't agree with that thing, or sometimes he well endure him being prickly in press conferences most of the time. Sometimes you go, ah, that but what really kind of brings I feel what brings close to Ange is his authenticity. Like he's he is what he is, and, and what you see is what you get. And I think so sometimes he's a little bit of an oddball, you know, which is but that's him. And I think he's you he can so easily when he starts talking about you know his
2: his dad his family's history of you know
1: being an immigrant and how football kind of integrate him into a society and a and a language, and he can draw the parallels with Celtic. I think if you do not have authenticity, that would fall flat, but because he has that, it feels feels perfect. You know, it, it feels like he's, well, he's not flawless in, in any way. Who he is? He's someone you you're happy to, I was going to say give yourself to, but you, you, you're happy for that connection to be there. You're happy for that connection to kind of be develop And you can almost have that without any fear that it isn't, you know, it's, it's, it isn't true. It isn't there. It, it is there and, and it feels real. And something might happen in the future that when he, if he leaves abruptly and something like that. But that wouldn't take away what it, what it is because it is who he is. And I, I think it starts with him. And I think also then within that, you have a group of players that, well, he's not like, uh, soft person (laughs) in terms of middle management, but he's obviously, there must be something within a group that if you have somebody who's authentic, and I think he also have somebody who's very fair in terms of, he doesn't have that connection with players because he wants to be as fair as possible in in the selections. And that can come across Firm and hard, almost cold hearts at that point, but there's an authenticity and a fairness within that. I think the whole group kind of responds to. And you see, as you said, there's, yeah, I'll, I'll put this question back to you. Um, but I think it's a good way of pointing out that the group seems so together and it, it seems to be a joy over each other's performances. Even though if they're competitors for players and and for positions, so obviously I think for me it starts with that then the culture of the leadership. But obviously this is you know kind of your domain uh, quite a bit as well, Graham, in terms of so much of the culture. And I think I think this is what spills over to the fans as well. But so much of the culture of an organization of a team, a football club, comes from its you know its leader. You know, and in, in, in this sense, I suppose to Coca is the leader.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
0: I think that that fairness is one of the biggest factors for it because I noticed that myself uh, yesterday, where you would have like um, a bader a pushing Hacksabanovich forward to get his song sung, and just this happiness for each other. And I think the fairness really plays into that because I think every single player knows. That if they're on it, they're going to get chances. If they do well, they're going to continue to get games. There's not. I don't think there's a perception in this squad of the manager having any favourites. He's removed every single player from that team at some point in his in his reign, apart from maybe Callum McGregor, but that's a, that's a captain. Yeah. Uh, so we know that uh, from. Uh, Training, he, he, he sometimes like stands detached uh, from the crowd, as on a hill, looking basically down at the, the, the training going on by himself. And uh, I think it's interesting. I don't want to do the the, the cynic bingo and mention Saint Martin, but <laughs> it does fit in this case because uh, one of the things that was often spoken about him was that he so really spoke to the players that when he did speak, it was like the, the voice of God to the players. I've got a feeling that Ange is very much like that. I think he, he likes that detachment so he can make these hard decisions. But I, like the fa- I think he likes the fact that he knows when he speaks, he gets listened to because he's not speaking all the time.
1: And I don't think it's... I'm it back to the authenticity of it, because that, Ange's way isn't the only way. Like, you have somebody you obviously follow Liverpool closely, but but Jurgen Klopp seems a completely different personality than Ange Postacoglu. But even so, they've kind of fostered different kind of attitudes and environment within the group, and they've mm-hmm. done it in very, very different ways. You know, Klopp is a lot more—you know—he's just a, a big hug of a man, mm-hmm. r- really. And yeah, he, he can always get angry uh, as well. But he fosters that by having a very close personal relationship with the players. And I think with Klopp, that's that's because Klopp is. Up and Ange Ange, and I think if you bring that authenticity to do what you do, obviously it helps that you can't be a bastard, you know, you can't just be an authentic, uh, or so really. So, I think that's
0: well, you know, authentic to be fair, so yeah,
1: exactly. That's my point. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so that's one side about the the other. You know, all these things are kind of like a little bit intangibles. So you know, I don't like that. But the both ends, and to continue this analogy, you, you, you can use copy, you can use pep as well, obviously. A fundamental tactical idea and an outlook of how the game should be played. or oh, Not how it should be played, but there is a trust in uh
2: from the players that the manager
1: and the coaching team knows what they're doing. And they know that if they f- follow, you know, the ideas, the principles, they will get rewarded. And I think that's where all these kind of late wins and we never stop and always finding our way to win—that's what it's built on. We talked about this before. It's, it's built on the on the fundamentals and the tactical outlook. And I think to be a really successful manager or head coach, you probably need a, both the the Technical expertise, the knowledge of being able to yes come up with a playing style that fits the team, it can be successful. And um, being able to react to opposition doing things, uh, and, you know, building into analysis and stuff like that. But you also have to have the people skills, the, the I guess the personality to convince players that this is this will work. Right, then you have something, I guess, a bit more intangible. I think, don't think you can untangle them because you will have coaches who have very good technical expertise, but you need to be in a group of people if you want them to be able to perform that. You need to have the people skills as well, and not to bring him in, but you know, even I've kind of jokingly called Michael Beale your Ian Cathro, You know, he's he's obviously got. Technical tactical expertise, but it doesn't seem able yet to kind of, you know, to expand beyond that. Mm. For example, so I think that's where it comes to advantage as well, um, or a think, successful managers uh, overall.
0: I think with someone like Michael Beale, I just can't imagine. I can't imagine a dressing room full of grown men players taking him as seriously as. A Klopp or a, a, or a Ange from the way that he speaks, it's just it's there's something intangible about him that just doesn't come across as authentic. I think. And uh, yeah, sorry,
1: no, no, only guy. I think continue that because I think the authenticity of it is important.
0: Yeah, yeah, and like for me, we are talking about Klopp and Ange being very different. And this is, I mean, leadership can be a very kind of parental type thing. I, I mean, you, t- you talk about Angela Merkel and how she was like Germany's mother. You know, mm-hmm. it was that kind of that kind of strong. And when it comes to Ange and Klopp, even though they're very different, they are both archetypes of strong father figures. Yeah. So you've you've got Jurgen Klopp being the guy who wants to the best for you, gives you big hugs and showers you with love, whereas you've got who I can't imagine Ange saying that he loves his kids. He he does. He definitely does, but I just can't imagine him saying it. And well,
1: he's, but he, he talked about his dad. Like his dad never praised him. And if, right. he, if his dad praised him, he knew he'd done something extraordinary.
0: But that kind of that kind of figure is one that just makes you want to run for a wall for them because you when you, when you do get the drips of of praise, the drips of whatever it is. It will just feel like fucking like the best day of your life for the players when they when they get that from when they get that affirmation. So I think even though they're very different, I think they're two archetypes of very strong father figures, and I think that is something that will especially when we're, for Celtic with such a young squad. I mean, it's a, they're they're all young lads, well for the most part, yeah, and, and they will yeah. play a part. I imagine it's like Alistair Johnson come from Canada, like he's not got anyone here, so. It will feel interesting, I imagine, interesting
1: dynamics going and, and I don't think you need to be an older manager to be successful, right? Yeah, I think you have young managers who are successful, you know, because of tactical expertise, but they haven't, want of a better word, authenticity um, about them. But yeah,
2: I think that's it, you know, I, I think, and it's.
1: It's not a sense that you you have to be, like like a, a father figure or, or something like that. But the, the, there is something about that combination of personality and then tactical outlook. And I think there was a discussion I listened to during the midweek. I think you know it was a friend, friend of the John, a friend of the Paul John McKenzie, on on, on the TIFO podcast. In terms of the brought obviously it's brought in Sam Aldice and how the Sam Allardyce character now is so, you know, the the stereotype stereotype of him is very unusual to have that in, in the Premier League because, and the stereotype is somebody who shouts at you to get you to perform, who threatens you. <laughs> so, you know, I'll, I'll burn your house down unless mm. you make that pass kind of thing. So, and that's often like you, but I guess you can't kind of call it all school manager now but that was the norm so people, players at a certain point, are well, fine with that you know, that's, you know, that's just what it was, that was what the gaffer did but it's, it's simply you know, in, in a generational shift of players you know uh, like generation, I guess we're millennials uh, you, you call yourself generation X mm, I so. uh, but I think especially like if you call it like Gen Z and stuff like that it's probably a more generation that's not going to respond well to somebody shouting at you are you mm-hmm. team leader or threatening you saying oh, do this and stuff like that they, they would I think there's are in expectation that your leader it doesn't have to be a father figure or a mother figure but at least there's um not a compassion but there's, there's, there's personal skills there. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there maybe it's compassion Um, Emotional
0: intelligence
1: Emotional intelligence Which is again comparing to to the last manager Who who, A lot of
2: players have talked About Lennon in glowing terms But I think Once you saw His kind of school of management It's not going to work
1: On one of the unless it's authentic and if you have something to back it up. Because mm. if you don't have the tactical knowledge, the the way of explaining things of or looking like you have a clue or what to do if this team does that, you're just not gonna get players are going to see true. And they mm. saw through Lennon. And that was also someone who Lennon who has on the mind management side, the shouting and stuff like that. You Know it's just not going to work, but he had very specific favorites as well, and he would make no qualms about saying these guys are you know great, these guys, you other lot are fucking idiots. So, I, I think it's again, that's it's, it's a car crash in terms of your personality and your tactical knowledge. And you go to somebody who's you who seem very aloof and almost cold hard at the times, but. There's a fairness and authenticity and and a father figure about it that, you know, backed up by the tactical knowledge. And I think, in in a way, Graham, is as simple as that. If you put somebody like that in charge, give them two years, give them, obviously, um, good recruitment um, over those years, you give them, you know, the resources. Otherwise, this is what you get.
0: Yeah, and it's it's all very much having more than one string to your bow like um yeah person personality just goes such a long way like you could it's the reason why experts are never in the position of ruling the world because it, you, the, no one would follow michael beale michael beale could be an expert at tactics and whatever and no one's following him war. it's you have to have some kind of personality that will bring people on board but
1: for some reason i've started listening to the um, i think it's the it's it called the Freakonomics podcasts, mm, mm-hmm. and, and there's lots of their interesting stuff. But they're actually talking about the Peter Principle in one of the podcasts. You know, we're, we're both big fans of you. Know, the Peter Principle, is the principle that in our organization, people will rise to their level of incompetence. Mm. <laughs> but there's they're also talking about the, the difference between the skills you need to get become elected as a politician compared to the skills you need to govern properly. Because, you know, um, getting elected is about, you know, your public speaking, you know, um, your personality, uh, a lot of that. Whereas governing is about, you know, decision-making is about understanding the detail, is about, you know, more the technical knowledge of things. A bit of a, bit. a football manager, you need both. Like you need that personality to, some the players to kind of buy into you to, to elect you but you also need to be able to govern to have the mm-hmm. technical knowledge and stuff like that so it's uh, yeah that's, that's you know anxious built up over a long time but um that's why we are where we are
2: and it's probably a lesson for a lot of us in terms of when you do go out and and hire a manager you know it's
1: it's difficult to judge personalities and stuff like that, but the signs that Ange could be the person who who could become this and, and be that kind of person and, and was that kind of manager was they were always there. Mm. They, they, they were always there from the moment he, he was linked. And there's a lot of context around the board <laughs> that season, what the board had been doing, the Eddie Howe stuff as well. But the signs from day one was always positive that actually this is they might have stumbled upon something here and and it's you know so far it's one of the greatest stumbles in in Celtic's history i
0: guess yeah i'll take that um one one of the big theories of motivation is called the self-determination theory and it's talking about how, how to how to motivate knowledge workers and Essentially, once you're making a certain amount of money a year, you're no longer motivated by money. And Mm -hmm. you need to be motivated by other things. And the the three tenets of that are uh, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And while while so much of uh, our play is dictated very specifically, uh, so I'm not so sure about the autonomy, maybe you can speak to that, it does feel as if is an expert on the mastery and purpose sides of this motivation technique, because... From day one, he has been hugging into the players, the fans, everyone. What the purpose of him being at Celtic is to play good football, entertain the fans, be beyond the scoreboard, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Every single player there knows why they are playing the way that they're playing under Ange, and uh, the mastery. I mean, I think you can see it in a at a, a week to week basis. They have mastered the craft for for this level of player. They've mastered the craft there. Hey, Carl McGregor was interviewed for BBC Scotland talking about how the, the training sessions are insanely intense every single day. So it is something they're working on over and over again, doing these rotations, doing the, the things that they're they're supposed to do. But what about the autonomy? Do you think there is any degree of autonomy in the way that Ange has, has played? Because you have spoken before about how Player X is expected to be in position Y when this event is happening on the park.
2: How do how did those things marry? Yeah, it's I think it's a really interesting kind of question,
1: and you'd love to be a bit more on the inside in terms of how how it plays out. Because I think what we know, because it, it's a couple of things almost contradicts himself.
2: Apparently, Ansh's tactical sessions are very good, but they're very to the point. You know the you know the very effective in terms of okay bam bang bam this is
1: where you go out and you do them so it doesn't always seems prescribed in that way saying okay there's an hour long tactical session you have to be you have to be there and there but well, there's a almost a fundamentalism about the principles and I think what you say there in terms of okay there's an intensity at training but it's probably an intensity of always doing certain things. Right, so it's be it the fullbacks trying to come inwards when there's space, um, be it the wingers need to stay out wide, but then they have to try and get into the half space and do those crosses. Um, the two number eights, they have a a lot of sense of they, they push up against you know the def- opponent's defensive line, but there's a, a switch and you know sometimes both of them is on one side, both on the other side. And then that kind of interactions between different parts, you know, interaction between the wingers and the fullbacks, the fullbacks and the number eights and so on. So within that, and then the rotation in itself is obviously autonomous in that somebody has to decide then to do it. Right. <laughs> um I don't think Ange stands on the sideline and goes switch <laughs> in that. That's maybe it does, maybe you can't hear it, but so, so there's, I think there's the way that has to work is that there has to be fundamental principles. It comes back to we don't stop, and that belief in in winning. You have the belief because do these things. Eventually, you know it'll happen. You'll do it. But within that, obviously, you just didn't. It's really interesting because you don't really know this, so you're kind of kind of guessing. But there must be. and autonomous within certain situations. Okay, when do you rotate? When do you go that as well? So I think it's getting comfortable in that system and and try to execute it. Learning on the job, see what works, what doesn't work as, as well. And that, uh, but then it comes back to stuff like like relations between players. The more you play together, the more you understand each other, um, and the more you get players that really fit that as, as well, and, and they have the capabilities and the technical capabilities to do things because it's that kind of famous pep thing of saying like okay follow what i say and i'll get you into the final third and once you're in your final third eh, you know you're good enough to kind of figure out by yourself um it's probably not as you know i think a lot of the rehearsed movements for pep and stuff is you know goes into the final third as well but it it can't in that way right? it can't be too prescribed it can't be too autonomous because then you just get chaos ball well ball. Mm-hmm. but you also can't have you can't be too rigid either there has to be something within that so i think i think it comes back to that belief you know clear simple messages by belief in the system certain guidelines and then but within that that's autonomy i guess Angela's always said we don't change the system but when you put a different player in that's the tweaks in the system. I guess it comes back to that because of the individual skills of the player but also the individual decisions of each player.
0: Mm, yeah, so they are adding something by being themselves, basically. Yeah. Uh, what was Just like you. Of course, of course. What, back to the game um, from yesterday, what was the, the other stat you wanted to before I made you talk about emotions and shit?
1: Yeah, it's good to be back on safe ground. And, no, it's just the round of Kobayashi. The other team with him I've sent you like a pass map. Um, obviously, the first half, the second half is very different based on you know the sending off. The first half, you have seven of the Celtic players have an average pass location in their own half. In the second half, it's I think it's only Kubayashi is just inside his own half. The rest is in harsa. so it's two very different um, halves. But just how much? went through Kobayashi, especially, I mean, in the first half, Celtic has 263 open play passes. Kobayashi has 63. He's got essentially 25% of all open play passes. One, you know, a quarter was done by Kobayashi. Hmm. Uh, Compared to Starfield, 31. So he had over twice as many passes as Starfield in the first half. Greg Taylor had 38, Tony Ralsen had 20. So again, almost double. So that left side of the defense, Taylor and Kobayashi had 38% of all the passes. Starfield and Rousdon had 19% of all the passes. So again, it's and Starfield and Ralsen has a very specific way of passing. You know, Rasden loves that ball he gets it on his kind of right foot and he can hit it between the, the centre-back and the full-back from quite afar. You know, he's, he tries it a couple of times. It works for the um, for the sending off. um. But yeah, I, again, it's incredible how much actually went through Kobayashi and how much goes through that left-hand side. And so I think that was, comes back to Kobayashi as well. Okay, he, he misses eight passes, but he's, he's got the most passes by it. By far, like of of all the players, uh, Celtic players in that game, I'll, I'll quickly check. Kobayashi's had a hundred and four passes. Next one is Greg Taylor at eighty-eight, and Carstall would have a seventy-eight. You know, overall, so it, it just tells you how much went through him. And I think that's well, that's what you want in, in that kind of sense when he's there. And he, he, you, I mean, overall, it's like. I don't know if you have anything else you want to say on Kobayashi Grandpa. but I guess I'm not going to let you. But I think overall, the first half, you know, sending off changes, but the first half, looking back at it as well, I go, you know what? That's a really good, not even test, but a really good <laughs> practice session for Celtic because there's elements of what Harsh tried to do, you know, they got back, you know. I mean, they talked about having a back four. They had a back four. They went kind of 2 4 4 in the press, but it was it was good. It was intense. It was high up. You know, that was, I'll say, a bit more aggressive and a bit higher up than our Rangers have been doing. And it gave Celtic uh, essentially a test to, to try and build up through an, an aggressive press that, that that was pretty good.
0: How do you think they did?
1: I think that overall they did well. You know, it wasn't easy because I think the press was good and. And I said you don't get to practice it that much in in the Premiership, but I was like, this this is what you want, this is what you know, this is what Celtic want, Hearts to do, Hibs to do, Aberdeen to do. Both in sense of just that sense of it's more what you're going to face in Europe. So if you had that even every other week, that high press, you know, but that commitment to play out. You're gonna get more used to it. All the players are gonna get more used to it. You, you get to actually practice domestically, so it, it's not that big switch when when you get to Europe. So overall, I thought it was like that's that's what you want. You know, that's that's almost ideal preparation for, for Celtic and it, it gives you something different to try and overcome, and it, it gives you something that's a bit closer to what you're gonna face in Europe. So.
0: And maybe we could give six of the teams in the league 500,000 each to play tactically the way we want them to play against us.
1: Yeah, it's Scottish sure Open probably be fine. Yeah. We don't have to give them that much. <laughs> so,
0: so I was I was perusing the huddleboard uh, today. Oh, yes. This is my, my one. i, I you've like been, to stick it.
1: You've been called a lot of things for, for doing that. So yeah. just in sense of having the. I that not I mean, a lot of people will look at it as like, "Oh, that's opinions I don't like." You know, I, I can't stand that. Yeah, I think you quite take a
0: quite. I'm a man I think of you people, quite
1: enjoy it. Yeah, uh, that's that as well, I guess. Yeah,
0: uh, and th- th- there's a couple of items of perceived wisdom that seems to be uh, from uh, coming from that game, and in, okay. in the- it's
1: going to be a threat on us, isn't it? <laughs> After this. <laughs>
0: Uh, the perceived wisdom is that Hitate is not Sweden shouldn't play against Rangers, and uh, Moy should come back in for Matt O'Reilly. Like, I think I already know your answers to this right away, but what do you think? Do you change anything for Rangers? Because although this is a meaningless game, it's already building up. It's going to be, it reminds me actually of the the Green and Whitewash season, where we beat them four times, I think, and we had one more game against them. And to beat them, we moved out, got the Green and Whitewash. And it was a meaningless game, but it got built up out of all proportions, and it ended up being quite a fiery encounter. So I've got a feeling that this Saturday is going to be similar to that. So what what do you change anything from that side that started against Hearts, with Maeda looking maybe a wee bit tired? Or what, what no, you no, mean? no. You,
1: you put more in for Atate. I, I, t- t- I think that's the move. Um, I, I
0: thought from the beginning
1: you know he weren't here last week but I thought I'd had to have, I think his performance at Rangers was, was
0: cool. I listened enjoyed, uh, enjoyed it was that. Yeah. thanks it was What's
1: quite yeah it wasn't bad Um he does a lot of I think, good stuff off the bat I think again no there, there was definitely you can see he's getting back into it there's a couple of those like that kind of shift of a balance I and mean, he just moved players away. And I, oh, I've, I thought it was good yesterday. <laughs> I, I think, you know, and that's not just you know, setting up the goal, but overall in terms of that, build a play from the back. If you can give him the ball, he's so strong. He'll try and find a pass. And yeah. I mean, it's again, it's, it's that kind of thing where he's, he misses a couple of pa- He misses a couple of passes when he's having a great game. That's just, Again, that's that's how he's tried to play, and that's that's how he's doing it. So I thought, I think the midfield has been, you know, even when he wasn't there, for being good. But said, yeah, you need him in there. You know, he's, he's, and yeah, you can say, oh, is he getting up to speed? Yeah, I guess a bit, but he's still putting in performances that's well. like nobody in Scotland does when they do it. And looking back at the game, I think it's another good game. And again, I thought Matt O'Reilly was really good. Again, he's is really good off the ball, defensively and, and attacking wise. So I, I think you, you keep that midfield tree. I, I think the other part, Dyson was, you know, I, I love Dyson. Um, the one thing that really annoyed me on quite a bit on on Sunday was see the amount of runs that Greg Taylor did from deep. You know, it takes a lot of energy. He makes that run. If Dyson's got the ball out wide, he makes that run, you know, behind the horse fullback and in front of the centre-back. Time and time again, he did it. Dyson never released the ball, not once. Mm -hmm. And you kind of go, yeah, okay, part of this, like you pull players apart, but he kind of seems to have sometimes not that awareness of just, you know, Letting the ball go, the switch side. Jota was the first time Teller did it. Jota released him. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, I think with Dyson he, he can be a, a, little bit head down. He, he really the holding on to the ball a little bit too long. Is, uh, it's just, it's just something I noticed. But but what he gives you though in, in a game like against Ajax uh, as well, like that intensity of the ball and. With everything else, and he's—it's—I he's, mean, his speed against Tavernier as well, and he's—he yeah, he's, doesn't have the best first touch, and he's—you know—he's crossing with the left is—it's you know, about fifty-fifty. But no, I, honestly, I think you start him again. Yeah, I think him, Gueorguoff, and Jota that kind of combination. The same with the midfield—you—you you start him again. I don't really see any need to do any changes, Frank Brooks.
0: What about Hatate at right back, and Huata
2: in the midfield? Oh, um,
1: I mean, it's not going to do that, but I don't want to on right back because I want in to be in, in the midfield. But
0: it's got the brace the last time, he was it right back?
1: Would I would, would, would I have him there over Tony Ralston? Yeah, probably. <laughs> it, to be honest.
2: So, uh, although that uh, uh, you know Tony
1: was he did this part again, mm-hmm. I'll give him that. It's good.
2: It's,
0: it's good to see him every every yeah. now and again. I like the cameo from, from traps. um, So, when it comes to the rest of this season, um, I said when we were chasing the 10 that I, I thought the 10 was an illness. And uh, these records seem very parochial to me. Like, it's arbitrary. 10 titles in a row, I don't get Going for it. 56, Graham. Going for 56. Yeah. And like, so now we've got this, we've got this. We're facing up to these records that we could break this season. And again, they just seem utterly fucking meaningless to me. I mean, I know records, if you accidentally break them as you go along, that's all well and good. So for me, for the rest of the season, I would like to see player development. I would like to see that pushed to the fore. So obviously we're not going to do that for Saturday. We need to get the Rangers out of the way. But the three games after that... I want to see youth brought into this team. I want to see players getting progressed. I want, to me that's much more important than chasing kind of arbitrary runs and arbitrary records of points totals and goals scored and all that kind of stuff. That should be a byproduct of being being a successful and forward thinking club. Would you
2: Would you reckon?
1: Yeah, I, Ibrox is wanting. I think Aberdeen as well. in the Last game, I think you want to have a run out for the team that's going to start the cup final but I don't think it's just necessarily a, like a last two game kind of thing I, throughout the season yes there's, there's an element of you need to give
2: players minutes to, to have them ticking over I've talked about before like I think
1: Ange could give more minutes to younger players in, in a certain situation, but I think it is his counter argument is always that, you know, if you can give James Forrest forty five minutes, let's do that because we might need James Forrest. Um but yeah no, I I agree in the sense that I'd I'd like to see him give some minutes to some of the younger players, but I don't want them to make huge changes because I don't I, it's absolutely no point. if you change too many players.
2: Mm.
1: That kind of experience it's not invalidated but if if you play uh you know seven eight young players, they don't really get you know it's it's like they might as well be playing you know, with their own team <laughs> just against somebody slightly better like sam hearing um, mm. so, so I think what you do is then one maybe two players and give them a start within the first team
0: playing with men who are yeah. Like up to
1: speed basically. And I can oh, I can't remember its name on top of my head. Uh right, but I think they've brought in
2: up uh right back from from the youth
1: team as well, to train with him. Um I think you can kind of have a look at okay, the left back, okay, that's probably you want to give Burnaby uh, some because it's still developing. But then you kind of go like midfield. And I guess the kind of question is do you give half an hour to say, like Ben Summers over Turnbull O'Moy? Right. It's, even if yeah, it's one. I, I know, but I think it's more about that. I don't start them like, because there's so many kind of players there. But I guess the all the comparison between, you know, say it's against St. Mary and the Hibs, do you start Rokurata instead of Leal for example, um if you take me out, do you put yeah so, so this players day, I think like is like Burnaby who genuinely need the minutes when they come on because you know away needs to play himself, Haxavan is knocking on the door, oh for example, I think you can maybe start him uh, as well, but I, I think it's the choice of Ben Somers Rocovata. You know uh, immediately, do you give them a start within that team? do you just I think i I'd, I'd like to see that I guess somewhere in their hips uh, you know one of them getting a start or at least four to five minutes uh, I'd like to want of them to get a start like like Ben Summers, for example, and um, to do that, and I think that this is a bit of time to do. It. I don't think it'll happen though
0: <laughs> i mean it's low has been round the team round the first team for so long now you think that he might even be on for something I saw yeah, him no, on the that, pitch after the game yesterday
1: that's a good point um, but I think with, when is in there I don't think that'll happen either but,
0: yeah and then you've got like someone like Stephen Welsh basically saying why am I getting
1: <laughs> yeah that, and I think you've got players like Welsh Turnbull and one sense Nevada who go are you going to be there next year mm-hmm. and then do you give them minutes. If, they were, if, if they're known they were going, you would give them some minutes. But you know, I think I'd rather, you know, while I like, it's better to get Lowell a, a, a half than him. I think it's in a way better to give Rocco Wata a half instead of Leal Abadde because we know what Leal Abadde can do. And he, okay, he might not be there next season, but even if he was, we know what he can do. And the same with, we know what David Turnbull can do as well. And what you can't do so yeah i try to see ben somers
0: we probably just have two minutes so we've got like the, the first team distrusted trusted first team we've got the youth and then we probably got just too many players that are in this middle strip that will take great offense if they're looked up looked over when it comes to uh, minutes you know
1: yeah i think in an idle situation you you want everybody to be fully pushing for, for that first choice, and but I think it's there's players there. I guess it's Turnbull and Ralston, maybe Burnaby as well. Is is just not there in, in terms of being being close to it. But yeah, else? but yeah, more youth, career. more youth.
2: Yeah, I seventeen.
1: It's... I don't know if you've heard this. Seventeen foreign spots in in the Champions League.
0: Yeah. So I, I saw something like. Uh... I can't remember the number exactly, but it was something wild that like Brighton had given like twenty under twenty three players games this season or something like that. So they certainly did the, the, the right thing. Um, I wanted to talk about Kyogo, and the, you mentioned on the group chat about me looking for things to get you cancelled, and this is definitely okay. one of those. Okay. Um, Stephen Russell brought up a thought experiment a while it's back. Not him. Yeah. Um, okay. And this thought experiment was something along the lines of, would you have sold Larson at his peak to bring in and bring through a young Cristiano Ronaldo? And obviously this is in the, the understanding that we could have convinced Ronaldo to leave Sporting to come to Celtic. When it comes to Kyogo,
2: Uriahashi, um at twenty nine, is this the right time to sell him? What's missing from that equation is is the number, though. All right. So, if if you're talking about is this the point that
1: you're going to get the most money for Kyogre for Rahashi? Probably, unless he goes. Wild in Champions League I guess but with his age what he's relying on in terms of his physical attributes yeah you're probably never going to get more and more money than you do at this point
2: so I think that is always you go okay <laughs> should you then sell them and I I think the other part of that is then what is his output going to be like over the next one, two, three years? Right. I just don't think you'll get, you know, the money for him now that will make it worth selling him. Essentially, uh,
1: so because you always had this discussion with, with Gigi and Uranovich as, as well, as people thought they went for too low money. But I guess the further question is that is, is it the player himself, right? Gigi wasn't getting playing time. I think you could, for me, he wasn't a great swap anyway. So you, you take the money, you double your money, you invest it, you invest it in O in a sense. And then with Juranovic, again, he was keen to leave, you're tripling your money a least for him and you're bringing some somebody else like uh, Alistair Johnston.
2: So if, if you told me, okay, I've got
1: a shit hot twenty-two year old striker who can do what Kyogo does and he costs three million, I oh, okay then. I, I just you know with That's Kyogo's... what got me
0: thinking about it the agenda and the talk of the, the, the Polish boy. That's what made me think about this.
1: But I also think you have to then weigh that up.
2: I think Kyoko... You know, he's not ancient. He's got. I think he's got two years at his peak left. So, what do you
1: trade those two years in for? With you have to look at the cycle of the team specifically now as well. I think this this specific version of Anju's team. I think he's got a one season left. And then after one more season, you'll start, I think st- players will start leaving a lot more. But I think with Champions League coming up, with this season and everything, I think everybody's, I, I almost would be surprised if there's lots of people going out to somewhere, I, I've, even key players. I don't think there will be. So you kind of weigh that up specifically with Kyogo now and you say, you have somebody who works so well in this system. And you can be very certain he'll do it again next season. And even though at the end of next season you might get one, two million pounds less for him, you know, um, you have to weigh that up and what you can actually give him. If somebody comes in and bid 50 million for Kyoko, you go, okay, yeah. <laughs> so you have to trust your recruitment process that you can bring in somebody who's, you can do the things to does straight away.
0: Great joy. Obviously. Yeah,
1: but so, and it's, as I say, so, I don't think you should say you should categorically never sell any other players, but it still has to be a, it's still an equation. You know, we've been often accused of being cold hearted, you know, those kind of things and take emotions out
2: of it. And yes, correct. But also
1: if the the equation doesn't make sense, you know, you, you still don't do it. Even so, it's a cold-hearted decision to keep him.
0: that's that's the answer I wanted
1: to answer. But Stephen Russell will sell him, of
0: course. Yeah, Stephen Russell. I mean, he he never said it at the time, but I'm I'm just assuming that he would have taken that deal. Oh, definitely.
2: Oh, definitely,
0: yeah. So, So,
2: I've got a couple of uh, world
0: news. Actually. Before we finish up, Liverpool bringing yes. in. I mean, to the bring world
1: in. is mostly Liverpool to us. There we go to world news. Which one? Yeah. One okay. Bayern Munich.
0: <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> Liverpool are looking to bring in Jurgen uh, Schmadke, who to be the, the new sporting director. He was a uh, director at uh, Wolfsburg for four years. Um, yes. Which, not the most well-run kind of club in the world.
1: But I mean, I don't so, know. To describe them in a generation's way as a spectacular mid. Yeah, yeah um, very, very and, much so. And apparently he's, everybody's ever worked with. Kinda doesn't like him or just hates him. Yeah. That's what I don't it's, mean.
0: It's, it's Yeah. Does it feel to you, you were talking the last time about how it feels as if Klopp is getting maybe more say in transfers and stuff like that? Do you feel, is it just too simplistic to think German bringing in German as Klopp getting a lot of say in bringing in the sporting director, which is obviously
2: putting the cart before the horse? It's, it's a bit odd. Because...
1: It, it always I think you'd need somebody to have that overview and then look after it, but you also need someone who's got a vision. I think and it you kinda of, you want to put your I guess trust in them or hand the reins to somebody you, you can take. And this seems like uh seems a little bit to me like uh a, a caretaker, you know, if, if filling a gap and it's somebody yeah it's I don't know if Klopp and him had any history together, but
2: it kind of feels like it's you know it, it wouldn't be done without his acknowledgement of it, like his
1: yeah, his his approval of it so but then again maybe maybe you know, maybe it's we're missing something, sense. and this is sometimes to go out and say oh this this is exactly the personality we want and we want, we want an angry older German he knows.
0: He likes McGat. That's what I should get. What an angry German. That's the <laughs> angry German you can
1: find. Um the, speaking of sports, I uh, had a a Pillisnial podcast podcast uh again with Stuart Weber again, who's the, who's the director of football in Norwich and his mm. you know his his star is faltering faltering a little bit.
0: Because he can't get back up.
1: Um but I, I still I still like the cut off his job as you know? oh. and I think I think he's got idea so I just say Celtic, you know, if if, if he untapped markets, you know, you can't go for the, like the hottest young thing, but you can go for somebody who's you can, essentially, I think, Moneyball, your mm-hmm. director of football. Uh, maybe she'll
0: have a Ripper. It's just did, did you enjoy the the, the very funny Moneyball meme I sent you, Mocking Liverpool? I,
1: I, I did enjoy that. Uh, obviously, James Miller has now announced his uh leaving Liverpool. But I, I did enjoy your uh after you've it was who watched Moneyball recently and then started its it his roof actually boiled. But yeah, it, it, essentially how how do you replace Jude Bellingham? You you replace him in the aggregate. Mm-hmm. with J um, Milner
0: contract renewal and... and
1: uh Trent and Midfield. Yeah.
0: So, perfect, perfect. There you go. So, staying on the EPL, um, there's a really bizarre article on the Guardian from someone called Nicholas Blanco, and it's titled Man- Manchester City's History Shows There Never Was a Golden Age of Ownership, and it is basically like a, a defence of Abu Dhabi, um, talking yes. about how Newcastle and PSG are owned by states, whereas uh, Manchester City are actually owned by a private person. Who is not the actual state sure. of? <laughs> and he, there's this line about how uh, if there was a, a, an image of this this Man City, so it would be like a team of uh, sport uh, sports scientists, modern sports scientists, more than like uh, any kind of sports washing. Um. No. He, if my City is an example of sports washing, then the image is, it, the image is one of swaggering sports scientists and Harvard MBAs. Wow. Um, he's basically just saying that they are a very well-run club that's been run as a, a, a business that doesn't lose money, basically, as opposed to like a, some kind of uh, sports all, all, the, all
1: the trains are running on time as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: A little history joke.
0: And, uh, yeah, he just, he, he defends them. And uh, he's, he's talking about how the, the, the new chant that he enjoys is, we will cheat when we want to, is what a part of the Man City fans are, are singing at the moment. So what do you make of the whole the whole Man City case? Um, I, to me, it, there was a lot of it very kind of like, um, felt very much like the Rangers situation, where it was the line that was, that the medals get one on the pitch. And you um, can't take take away medals because it was won on the pitch. Kind of ignoring the fact that the, it was won on the pitch by players that were getting paid illegally and therefore getting paid getting players that they couldn't actually afford. But, Similar to Man City, they died. <laughs> yep, that's. I mean, that was a comeuppance. so we yeah. can hope for Man City to die too.
1: Well,
2: I, th- I think no, you're born there on the pitch and. And once this, what I'm saying, it's is correct
1: in terms of the sports, science, like even how to run a football club. Manchester City is is an extremely well-run football club, like one of the best in the world. And you can have a lot of money and not run a club well at all. You know, it's just, there's, one, there's another one in Manchester. This is a great example of that. And they do... They Are in the forefront of a lot of things, you know, in terms of even with that much money, they, they poured into analysis, sports science, you know, facilities, and, and so on. And I was like the wider city group as well. So, I mean, nope. yes, they are a very well run club. Yes, they are forefront in a lot of things, not only tactical information, but everything else. So, all those things are correct, but <laughs> it doesn't make a dent in who owns them, right? Overall, I mean, you can kind of in a weird way they ended up not even being the worst uh in the league by that's that's Newcastle but that article in itself is' it's sports that's mm-hmm. you know nobody go and buys Manchester City because they want to be an innovator in sports. Football and recruit with analysis and get the best coaches and this inherent love of Manchester City. The the question to or are the owners that bad? Is the question you should ask them is why are they the owners?
2: Hmm.
1: Like why are they the owners? Why is PhD owned by who they are? Why is Saudi Arabia owned by who they are? Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Why is Newcastle owned by by who they are? And this you just is your answer right and sports washing it's 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 sports washing is, is influence it's you know geopolitical stuff way beyond my my knowledge but that's why they do it why else would you do it you know in, in terms of you know well I think he's a Dermot Desmond is a terrible terrible owner he's he owns Celtic one because yeah he's probably likes to what's his motivation for doing that yeah i think it's genuinely genuinely a celtic fan it's been his family but obviously it's it's also going that's quite a cool thing to have you know (laughs) (laughs) and and so on so why do why do owners own football clubs and he's a golden age they used to be football clubs used to be owned by a local business man made good right Mm. historically and stuff like that and obviously you had the chairman and so on I think that's the main difference between, again, the German league as well. Who owns German football clubs? At least 50% of them are membership run. Mm. And I think that's it's, it's easy. It comes back to that. Why is the Premier League the way it is today? A large part because of, well, the money came, but then the owners, because the, the owners are there for a specific reason. And it, even, even Liverpool, you know, FSG's a hedge fund. Mm. They're uh, a way of making money for the people who invest in the hedge fund. They're smart enough to know that the way to do that, the way to raise your the value of what you own, is by being smart, right? Um, or or, or that's FSD's way of doing it. And yeah, that there's there's a genuine love for sports there as well. I think with you know, the Red Sox and it started with Liverpool started with people in the organisation being genuine fans of of Liverpool, but. They will never go in unless they can make money out of it. And the Glaciers is, of said, United is, is a different way. That's obviously they borrowed to buy the club. And then it's the club who's paying back the repayments. on the So, you know, they're, they're just sucking money out of it. I guess they're making money. So uh, well, the owners of, of City, uh, PSG, Newcastle, it's not enough to make money it's power, it's sports washing, whereas FSG, Glaciers, it's about making money. Mm. Right? And you can get the old eccentric billionaire who just maybe loves a football club. Yeah, but also it's either about gaining power or gaining money. And that's what it's going to be unless fans has a significant say. As uh,
0: Scarface said, first you get the money,
1: then you get the power. That's... Um
0: you
1: get
0: the word in, I think was next? Views <laughs> uh, cancelled
1: now. Who's <laughs> cancelled
0: now. There's a line uh, from this article. If City are found guilty of subverting the rules to supercharge the project, that's the reason they did this, apparently. This is cynical, yeah. the cake and eat it attitude of a corporation emboldened by an army of lawyers. The larger issue is whether you think Disney or Sony is the right model for football, and if the result will be the end of competition in the English League's. If not a clear-eyed analysis of the first step of tackling the issues, if the Premier League is turned into a heavily handicapped product like F1 to ensure competitiveness, would anyone bet against a well-run city continuing to win? It's almost as if he's been like hired by Man City to write this article. That's the sports version,
2: yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean,
1: it's it's American sports as well. You know, the owners' success to make money in the sense that right they just move the club to move the franchise. Um, so unless you ground the club within its community within its its fans who owns it that's just what you're
0: going to be liable for so or like the Oakland days who did that and then just uh, have moved the team to Las Vegas but what's the both worlds we're going to finish on uh, our our friend and yours uh, Gianni Infantino and uh, he's, he's not actually done something Bad this week. It well, probably has. No, it's just not involved in this article. He's talking about the the TV offers for the Women's World Cup that have been sold to the broadcasters separately for the first time. So the Women's and the Men's sold separately, and uh, apparently the TV companies are ro- ro- lowballing for the Women's World Cup. Uh, he, he said, "Quote: Whereas broadcasters pay a hundred to two hundred million dollars." For the men's FIFA World Cup, they are offering only $1 to $10 million for the, the FIFA Women's World Cup. This is a slap in the face of all the great FIFA Women's World Cup players and indeed of all women worldwide. So, yeah, not 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 great. Not great. Uh, I mean, I can imagine they're talking about um, one, where was the number there? A massive audience. It, so apparently the, the events are on course for a record 1.5 million ticket sales so it looks as if it's going to be well attended but the it's not really making the money when it comes to the, the broadcasters apparently what do you making
2: of this well, first of all i think
1: infantino and fifa could do a lot more for the women's game and, mm-hmm. and i include uefa and that as well there's still just one european competition for uh on the women's side which is stupid i think there's things you can do and you know, you, you don't have to set out to have the same format as, uh, as the men's game in terms of, you know, I think there's, you have an opportunity to, to do more stuff like combining leagues, you know, having, you, you don't know, having the restrictions. So say you can have a Scandinavian super women's league, for example, and stuff like that. But I, I think you need to make it in into a, an
2: opportunity because if if your offers are that low
1: what you should then be doing is going okay what you need to then try and sell it to where you can get the biggest audience and that's national broadcasters you know free to air and part of the reason why rugby rugby is such a big sport in scotland is because it's on bbc Mm -hmm. that's why this part of why skiing is so big in always, handball is so big and always because it's free to air, it's always there and becomes a, a national thing so uh, I, I think in that sense you, if you're going to have a low ball as I say, it's, and it could be well be as well like you need to grow it and put it on, on, on free broadcasting and also to have a product and, and around that and as well and and have the production values of it, but I think that's how you grow the sport. You know, I think the men's game in Scotland should probably take a leaf out of it, you know, in terms of what the club's actually getting from Sky. Is it worth long-term wise, take less money, but have a lot of games on the BBC? Mm. Probably is. But that's another discussion.
0: Especially next season with the the three derbies going to be in the, the league uh, again. The, obviously the Glasgow one, the Dundee one will be back, and yep. the, the Edinburgh one. I mean, it's a product that uh, we're we'll interested in.
1: It might even get the the, the one as well. So.
0: Uh, well Chris it's been an absolute pleasure I mean you've got me for another two weeks And then I'm on another holiday uh, so,
1: I was—I I, I thought you were going already next Are you here next week?
0: I'm here next week uh, No I'm i am doing I think I'm hosting the agenda next week So you've got someone That's else That's right Yeah and then I'm back That's for a right. week And then I'm on holiday again So I've been your host Graham McKay And we'll catch you down the road